Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and today we have with us Tanya Arnold from BiblioGuides and two of our library ladies, Kathleen Seeger and Sherry Early. Friends, we're so glad to have you listening today while we chat about a very interesting, I'll call it interesting, interesting, difficult book, The Rise and Fall of Adolf Hitler. And Tanya, you are always the great resource in knowing how to pronounce people's names. How do we pronounce the name of this author? Yeah, that's a great question. I think people's names are so important, so it's worth taking the time to discover how to pronounce them correctly. So I did listen to two different pronunciation guides online. His last name is spelled S-H-I-R-E-R, and it's Shirer. Shirer. That's awesome. Thank you. This one is one that probably lots of us are trying to avoid if it's on our shelves. This doesn't seem like it would be a great book to just pull off the shelf and spend a lot of time with. But when we interviewed Kathleen Seeker many months ago and talked to her about her Loving Education Library, she told us a fascinating story about this book. And that got inside of me and made me think that maybe this book was worth a little bit of attention. So Kathleen, tell us about your first impressions of this book and and how it came to be something you cared about. Well, I used to have a patron who was a homeschool mom and her husband was a physician and they were huge history buffs. So even when she stopped homeschooling, she checked out books for herself to read. And so she checked out the landmark on Hitler. She texted me at like 11-ish at night and was like, have you read this book? She's like, I am reading it aloud to my husband and we are fascinated. She's like, you have to read this book. It is so interesting. And she's like, we did research on the author and he was a journalist who was there, saw Hitler many times. And she's like, this book is just incredible. Just knowing here there are adults who are well-educated and really love history. And to think that this book was, they found really worthy and beneficial and they were learning a lot, I think really speaks to how much it's certain our kids would get out of it. And such an important thing, because this is the kind of book that can be very, like I said earlier, this is the kind of book you might not want to reach for. But I think that we ignore this book, or at least its subject matter, at our own peril. This book is really well told about exactly how the problem of Hitler came to be, how it was tolerated, how it happened, and how impossibly hard it was to fix. And so what a wonderful endorsement that is from, as you say, two well-educated adults who have, who didn't think that this book was too childish to read. It was actually just excellent. So had you read this book before she had said that to you? No. I had not read it. And she would constantly read the books and be like, you have to read this one. You have to read this one. And I'd be like, I can't read them all. But I did find it so fascinating that, and I have read some of the villain books. Like, I love the Genghis Khan landmark. Also a villain, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. book in theory. And I loved that one. And this one, oddly enough, I read it aloud to my teenagers. And we... Oh. 
had this a constant stream of conversation talking (laughs) while I was reading this book because they just had so many constant thoughts about Hitler's personality, about what was going on. Mm -hmm. And I think to me, a great value of reading this book is recognizing our perspective as citizens. How do we interact with our leaders? How do we pay attention to our leaders? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of lessons in the book as to um, what the German people didn't or didn't know and what Hitler did or didn't do and yes. how we can learn from that in our modern day. Marvelous. Marvelous. Tanya, what number in the Landmark series is this one? It's World Landmark 47. And when were the World Landmark books published in relation to the American Landmark books? Oh, I don't know if I've researched that specifically, but all of the landmarks were written between 1950 and 1970, like around over a 20-year time period. Sure. And I think they were interspersed. Okay, salted right between in. Between the topics. Yeah. yeah, they were just kind of meshed in there. Okay. This one's really fascinating for a lot of reasons, I think. One of the reasons is that this book is an adaptation of an adult mm-hmm. book. And it's much more in-depth, and there's really interesting information about it online. And he was a journalist. And so I was curious when I went into it how he would adapt it for a younger audience. And I have this quote that is from his memoirs, A Native's Return. You know, when Bennett Cerf comes to him and says, I want you to write this story for the Landmark series. And William says, it was not so easy as he assured me it would be. Mm-hmm. How did you write for young people? You couldn't be condescending. You had to respect them, but you had to keep it simple enough for them to understand. Mm. And when I read this, so I read it for the first time for this podcast. But it's been on my to-read list for a long time sure, yeah. <laughs> because I've heard great things about it. I thought it was so well done for an adult. I could see myself reading this with older elementary students. Mm-hmm. It's That reading level is appropriate. Mm-hmm. I could see myself reading this with junior high students. I could see myself doing this, like Kathleen was saying, with high school students. I could see myself reading it out loud to my husband yes. because it's almost perfect examples of a living book. Mm-hmm. It has living ideas and they're told in a way that they're accessible to any age. It doesn't speak down. It respects the intelligence of the audience mm. and it is accessible information and it just flows along. And I think the other aspect that makes it living is that it's, I mean, it is a biography, but it's also a little bit of a memoir because he'll say things like, I was in Vienna the night the Germans invaded Austria yes. in 1938. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you just think he saw it. And so throughout the book, you're hearing him say, I saw Hitler say X, Y, Z. Right. I saw this happen. I saw people around me act in such a way. Yes. And he's here removed as an American journalist kind of just watching this whole thing. So he was at the right place at the right time, multiple instances. Mm-hmm. It just gave me shivers. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was talking to someone who literally watched the events unfold and was giving me a firsthand account. Yeah. That felt so real to me. Yes. And alive. So living. <laughs> yeah. This morning I was, you know, skimming some of the things in the book and he actually described at one part where it's, I guess, kind of the highlight of Hitler's career that Hitler thought, and he is describing the looks on Hitler's face. 
Yes. And I just think that's mm-hmm. so fascinating that he is close enough and seen Hitler often enough that he can describe the looks on his face from a personal account. Yeah. Like that just is like, that's like a gift. It's just a rare yeah. of of history. So I think it's interesting too, because I was reading some of the criticism of his adult book. And he's a journalist. And so he definitely approached that book from a journalistic writing perspective and style and not from an academic perspective. But one of the things I felt with this one is that it is a biography, but you also get his opinions because he was there, a participant. He viewed it, but he doesn't hide that. He says, I saw this or I thought that. So you have that still sense of he's telling you his stories based on the research he's done, but he's also giving you his experience. Right. It's very clear that he is an American journalist. Mm-hmm. You know, he's embedded inside of enemy territory. So his patriotism is crystal clear, but he definitely can feel the same things the Germans are feeling. He he can see the magnetism of this wildly charismatic leader who was able to bewitch an entire nation. He could see that thing happening. And so he does a brilliant job of inviting us into sort of the spell of it all. And I I found that to be very captivating. He's had some time to Mm. get some perspective. Mm -hmm. I read something that said that he, he published also, in addition to The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, something called Berlin Diary, which was a like his diary that he kept while he was a correspondent in Berlin. But what I read said that he went back and changed some of the first parts of his uh-huh. diary because he was more positive about Hitler at first, like oh. in the early 30s maybe. I don't know mm-hmm. exactly when. Because, you know, you have to have time that gives you perspective to know. Sure. You know, at first, a lot of people were impressed with him. Yeah. Who didn't know all the things that are in this book. Right, right, (laughs) right. They just knew that, I don't know, the trains were running on time or whatever it is the old saying is. But Mm -hmm. And he had time to look at records and he talks about the diaries and, and he quotes German leaders who were talking about how Hitler was on this day and what he sure. looked like on that day and things like that. So he had time to get access to those papers and things. Yeah. Something else significant about his perspective is that I think sometimes we get the impression that all Germany just went after him and they were yeah. all just bewitched. And mm. we can't understand how the the entire country just turned and went with him. And I think he gives us a little bit of a picture of that's not exactly true. Right. The whole country didn't just one day turn and follow him unquestioningly. Right. And and I appreciated that. Yeah, very much. It is really hard to believe how that could have happened. And it wasn't yeah. exactly that way. It was a slow process. And it was not that everyone just all of a sudden loved Hitler, but after a while they didn't have a choice. Well, when his enemies are dying brutally, I, I'm just, I'm recoiling right now as I even think about the ways in which they were offered. You can commit suicide. Here's a gun. You can commit suicide, or we're going to string you up with piano wire. Those are your choices. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's eliminating his enemies so that they can't, you know, throw shade on him. But 
the even then I've appreciated the stories of heroic resistance that are found in this book as well. The you know the different military people and the other conspirators who did try to systematically work against him, and and ended up paying for it with their lives. But there was a resistance. Yes, and I I thought the most haunting recurring theme to me was how many times things could have been different. Yes, me too. And somebody didn't do something. Me too. He was in prison for crying out loud. Yeah. He was right. in prison. <laughs> for treason, <laughs> which is for usually treason. punishable by death. Right. But, oh, we won't kill him. And then, oh, we'll pardon him. And then, oh, we're going to actually elect him. What? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and he was even in World War One. Yeah. I mean, the odds that he survived World War One yeah. and then multiple assassination attempts. Yes. It's chilling. In every instance also, it didn't appear that he should have been successful. Anybody else in those same circumstances wouldn't have succeeded, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Just the fortitude to continue on and just to keep thinking because there were so many times where they where he was rejected and everyone was like, No, you know, certain events happened and people were No, no, what do you don't support this guy? Like circumstances were swirling and maneuvering in such a way that an emotion was running high mm-hmm. and people were under pressure and under stress and duress mm-hmm. from the events of World War One, And it was volatile. And he was sure of himself like almost no one else we mm-hmm. can even imagine. And I think that yeah. rather than even more than like leading a charmed life or um, whatever else you might think, it's just he was so dedicated to getting where he wanted to be. In an unimaginable way. I mean, he had an unearthly self-confidence. Yeah. yeah well, and, and Shearer calls him a megalomaniac. And mm-hmm. he does say on that day when it's like his greatest moment, um, mm-hmm. he says that he walked into the room because Shearer was there. He says he walked into the room and looked like he thought he was Julius Caesar and Napoleon combined, wrapped combined. up in one. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so interesting because that same sense of overconfidence that is like this grand narcissism megalomaniac, that same hubris that he had that brought him to success through his persistence is also exactly the same hubris that makes eventually dictators and megalomaniacs eventually fall like Napoleon, like Julius Caesar and like Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> right. But you see that so much in this book. And I love that because mm-hmm. and I love in the beginning that you see like his childhood and you see his weird 20s refusing to work. My yes. kids are like, what is even going on here? And my my teenage son, you know, Hitler is going to the library every day because he refused to work, but he read voraciously. Mm-hmm. My son's like, see, you read books. Look what happens. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I think there's just so much for kids to. It is a person that's a villain, and maybe we don't like hearing that story, but that's often what I love hearing about those stories is that we can learn so many lessons and and it does fascinate us endlessly. Like why did this man rise to power? Like how did that happen? And it gives kids so much to think about. Like, who will I vote for? How do we find out information about the people that we're voting for? 
I'm guessing in Germany, the people didn't know like, oh, he was homeless. Like that wasn't probably mm-hmm. widely known or he was imprisoned. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, today there'd be all these little like TikTok, Instagram memes going around about <laughs> a politician that maybe we would know. Right. But even then we have the influencers constantly seeking to influence And maybe we need to be reminded there's real people behind that. And we should know more about them before we follow them um, in general. I think a book like this, Read Aloud and Discussed, one of the great values of it is in teaching us to look for the person behind the image. You can make an image for almost anything if you try hard enough. And if you have one or two people who are going to help you. But there's a real person behind that, and we really need to know who that person is. And I think that's a great reason to read landmark books in general, is to better understand the people, these seminal people or these seminal events that happened, not just the gloss that goes around them. And I think about how this book changed the caricature in my mind that I had of Hitler that was derived from, you know, old-fashioned video of him, uh, old-fashioned black and white photos of him, or Hollywood representations of him. This this was like a very intimate and personal look at this man. I think now I can better understand some of that part of the history that is part of our history. It's part of our story. This is worth understanding better. I think in some ways he's even more of a caricature because you see the the crazy videos of him talking and think, you know, how could they have believed that? But he really must have been crazy because mm-hmm. so in his childhood, his father didn't appreciate him. Well, gosh, is he the only one who's ever had that happen? He was a frustrated <laughs> artist and that turned him bad. Well, I think we've Mm. known some other people like that. So all of these (laughs) things that we look back, and I think we have a real tendency today even more to say, well, you know, it's understandable because his childhood thus and such happened. Not everybody who has a rough childhood tries to be the dictator of the entire world. So there was something off there from the beginning. Yes. And it just, you know, he just kept getting worse and worse. Yeah. Back to kind of what you were talking about is just to get a better picture of who Hiller was, but also for our youth today and for us today to step back and try to understand the people that are in front of us. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I found fascinating that did come to play here was the people that were surrounding him. Like who are the players? Who are the people at the table? Mm -hmm. Who were in the room where it happened? Mm -hmm. Right. And so there was a lot of backroom deals occurring that he would not have come to power if other people in power weren't willing to make deals. Mm-hmm. And you just see all of these deals being made. Mm-hmm. And so I think even in today's world, the same thing needs to happen. Who is this person? But also, who are the players? Yeah. Who are the people that are connecting? And what are the pieces we don't see? Because we have to always assume there are deals being made that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Because that's, that's human nature to do that, especially for people in power. And All of that was happening. In fact, I just read a children's story that was about the Spanish Civil War. And I I apparently am just really illiterate in my world history, but I didn't know much about the Spanish Civil War, which started in 1936 and ended in 1939. Mm -hmm. But this book was basically saying that some of the countries were claiming neutrality. So the United States claimed neutrality. But Other countries claimed neutrality, but then didn't remain neutral. And Hitler was one of them. Mussolini was one of them. Stalin was one Mm -hmm. of them. So on the precursors of World War II, they're claiming neutrality 
worldwide up front. And then they're doing backhand deals with both what would have been like the Republicans and the nationalists in Spain. Mm-hmm. All while all of these other shenanigans are going on mm-hmm. that we find out about in this book where certain things were happening with Stalin, certain things were happening with Mussolini. Then those backhand deals were being changed. And then, and then even inside Germany, you had some of the elite and some of the aristocracy that were in power mm-hmm. and he was making deals with them. Mm-hmm. And I just thought all of these things just conspired and that's still so relevant today. Mm-hmm. What are the moving pieces? Like it is a chess game. It is. <laughs> Who are the players <laughs> on the board? We might not even be able to uncover that. Sometimes it's retrospect, right? But it's fascinating to think about that it can be that complex. Well, and also when he was making those deals, he lied so much mm-hmm. and he believed in lying and that lying led to success. So mm-hmm. his statement, a big lie is better than a small one. Yes. I just read to my kids an essay that Theodore Roosevelt wrote, which was the eighth and ninth commandments in relation to politics. And in that, like really his biggest hard hitting theme is that a politician, a public man must be honest above mm-hmm. all things. And it just is so interesting of a contrast, like Hitler's rise based on a lot on lies and trickery. Yes. yes. And that is maybe an advantage we have today when we do have, I mean, I know that I've seen videos of politicians who are now elected from long ago where they and were they flipped on and lies yes and 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 we're elected we need to be more discerning well and the fact that Shara emphasizes that he said i don't know why people were surprised by hitler doing exactly what he said in mein kampf and yes. other places that he was going to do right you know he told people i believe in lying so why <laughs> are they surprised that he's lying Or he told people that he wanted to take over the world, basically. Why are they surprised that he's trying to do that? Um, Yeah, I I was going to read that quote at the end of that chapter. He says, No one can say that Adolf Hitler did not give full warning of the barbarian world he intended to make. And that was Mm -hmm. after writing Mein Kampf. Mm -hmm. And what's shocking is that people really embraced Mein Kampf. And I think back to other things that we've read. I think of the borrowed house and I think of the propaganda that the Hitler's youth was being raised with. I think about how Yana is lying directly to the woman that she's supposed to be helping with regard to the chickens. She wants to get out of there faster. So she just tells a lie. And it's easy. It's sport. These are values being inculcated into these children. And it was accepted. Like people allowed it to happen. It blows my mind. This book the thing I think about the whole time is spiritual warfare in full force. There is just no other word for Hitler except evil, unabated evil. And the fact that he lost gives me hope that, in fact, the gospel is true, that the ultimate battle is won. This is a a preview of the ultimate battle in a way that the evil unvarnished and unleashed will be accepted. It will be appreciated until it turns the people onto themselves and they realize what they have done. The chapter that gutted me here was the death of the children in the end. Hmm. I just I I vomit in my throat every time I think about it. I just the fact that these mothers could poison their children 
rather than let them be raised by somebody who had a different ideology. It it just guts me. I don't have anything intelligent to say about it except that it just <laughs> guts me. <laughs> and they probably didn't at that point have a choice because as we know Hitler really didn't in the you know the end years he didn't give anyone choices. I mean That's basically true. yeah. That's true. Eva Braun, like flying in, yeah. like to marry him right last minute. It's like she hadn't seen right. him very much in like five years. Like run. Like what? Right. What, you're showing up for a suicide wedding? Like what are you thinking? I know. Like, you know, he maybe had a choice. She was maybe one of the blessed few who might have been able to escape. Yeah. But all the rest of them so close to him. Yeah. Can't you see that now, though, that there are people who will do almost anything for their 15 minutes of fame? And that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. So true. Well, also, you can start down a path of evil, and your choice, you have a lot of forks where you can choose to, you know, to go back or to go a different way. But those get fewer and fewer the farther you go. Yes. And and so you don't have a choice anymore. Yeah, those micro decisions compound. And You've gotten so far away from the the real path, there's no chance of getting back to it. Or at least you believe there's no chance of getting back. But that's the point, right? That's where, again, this is spiritual warfare. All of these people thought they had no other option. But they always have an option. You always have an option. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You do have a choice. It might not be a great choice, but it's a choice. You can choose truth, even if it costs you everything. Mm -hmm. It would be better than staying in that. I agree with your point too, but we also see that, yes, the ultimate battle is won, but the collateral damage is just... Tremendous. Yeah. Millions and millions of people suffering and dying because all along the way, people made those tiny little choices. Those little micro choices of concession. Well, I'll just do this little thing. No, Mm -hmm. no. The little way. It is, you can have a little way to virtue or a little way to hell. You get, but it's a micro, it is a path of micro choices. And we always told our kids, there is no choice you can make that doesn't affect someone else. Ah, true. Even if it's only because inside of you, it changes. So it, which touches everybody you ever touch. Mm -hmm. Or would have touched. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, I was having a conversation with my eight-year-old. She had had a situation where she had gone to Target with her older sister and something had gotten broken. And she was trying to tell me about this broken thing. But through the story, she's like, well, I heard something fall, but like, I don't know how that happened. Mm. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. And finally it comes out that she thinks she might've accidentally put something off the shelf and her, she's feeling so sad. Like, should we go to Target right now? Should we handle this thing? And essentially you know, we work through all of this and like what would have been appropriate in the moment and telling the truth up front. And I just, she just said, it's so scary, mom. Mm. And I just said, doing the right thing always feels harder in the moment. Mm -hmm. It's easier to cover up and it feels safer. Mm -hmm. I said, but that path has the harder consequences. So once you do truth, once you do right in the moment, when it feels like the world is going to come crashing down on you, if you do right and truth in the moment, the more you do that, the easier it becomes. Yes. And you'll find that it's actually less difficult and the consequences will be less and it will be more rewarding. But if you go that other path, it becomes easier to keep making the wrong decisions to cover and to cover. 
to lie, to be deceitful, to harm other people. And then you find out that you're bearing some really big burdens. It's not clear how to get out of that. Yeah. And I think that's what we see here is just lots of people maybe making small decisions. And Hitler even himself mm-hmm. got himself further and further in and he became more and more maniacal. Yes. More yes. and more his you, – you see him becoming more and more volatile, mm-hmm. more and more just a level of – Insane. Insane and not stable. Mm-hmm. And and people are recognizing you don't know which Hitler you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get the Hitler that's just going to be wild-eyed and like foaming at the mouth? Mm-hmm. Or, or is he going to be cool and calm and collect? I love this quote from Louis L'Amour in The Walking Drum. He has this character that says, there comes a point in every man's life – and I'm not going to quote this perfectly, but you can no longer bl- blame the fortune or your family or your religion or your country or your faith. You get to be the maker of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. So you have to now stand in the place of, I am responsible for my own decisions. Mm-hmm. And you know that's so good for teenagers, especially to start grappling with that it doesn't matter what's been done to you. What are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Which direction are you going to go? And I just think Hitler... He he made some choices and then just kept burying himself in one terrible decision after another and then validated himself in that this must be his purpose, his mission, and his role and let hate – seriously, like this is such an epic story of hate consuming someone. Yeah. And, and when we say he's insane, there are definitely some mental health issues here with him, but there's also a whole lot of free will that's been – you know, like you said, he's made a lot of terrible choices and then he's justified them in his mind and he's affirmed them for himself and that has allowed him to turn in on himself and really self-idolatry and self-worship does not lead to good places. And so I think – when we think about those little micro decisions along the way, how many people had the opportunity to stand up to him in smaller ways? And had they done that, would they have negated some of his power along the way? Would he have never gotten to where he got to if people had stood up to him before it became what it became? And that just makes me think of our how important a lesson that is for all of us. Whoever is reading this, this is a powerful reminder that you you tell the truth always in every scenario. You always do the right thing because you don't know what the cumulative effect of that will be. And so whether it's preventing you from becoming a monster or preventing somebody else from becoming a monster or just preventing Satan from getting a win. Whatever it is, there were not a lot of people who stood up to him when they should have. There's a lot of great books written that you can read at the same time to yes. kind of exemplify, put that into kids' minds, like yes. people like Corey Ten Boom or yes. people, you know, books like The Little Riders or what's the one with the children in the school? 20 and 10. 20 and 10, yes. Where there's examples of like real people doing small things. And you don't have to do, you don't have to be a great or a super powerful person. You can just be a regular old person and God can use you to do small things that uh, affect the choices around you. So um, it's, it's nice that uh, even though we have books like Hitler, we have other books to show kids exactly the, the opposite. And like what Tanya was saying that she's trying to explain to her eight-year-old, 
the consequences of lying and the, how those build upon each other, they can't really comprehend that yet. Mm-hmm. There's no way to sit in your own life when you're eight years old or, or whatever age maybe and see how one thing leads to another. So reading the stories about these people, that's just one of the values of that so that you can see, wow, <laughs> when he was eight years old, he made some <laughs> bad decisions and look what happened. Right. It just gives a perspective that you can't have on your own about yourself at any age, really. But going back to the, the power of story, like Kathleen was saying, I think about how when I was eight years old, I was watching Ivanhoe, the 1984 version with Anthony Andrews and Re- Olivia Hussey. And I was enamored with Olivia Hussey's character. She would not bend. She would not pretend to be anything other than she was. She would not bring dishonor to her Lord, no matter what. And that stayed with me for my whole life. That impression formed me in a particular way and pushed me on a particular path to explore the lives of martyrs and saints. And I just think that how powerful it is for us to give those kinds of stories to our children early and often in in a wide variety of styles and formats, nonfiction, fiction, you know, beautifully written, living books of all kinds. But also, I think negative examples can be can be really powerful too. You know, mm-hmm. you can, you can say, well, you might not want to pick up a book about Adolf Hitler, you know, and but I I think the value of that reading this book is that you see what you don't want to become. Yes. Even in a small way, you don't want to become a, you know, a petty tyrant or whatever. Right. Or someone who's always going back to what Tanya was talking about, someone who's always blaming everything bad that happens on someone else. Always, he uh, talks about that in the book that Hitler, even as a teenager was always finding a scapegoat for mm-hmm. this own failures and that he carried that all through his life you know it's Mm -hmm. a horrible thing to carry through your life and I you and I both know people who everything that happens is not my fault it's somebody else's yeah absolutely Sherry I totally agree I agree also and I would actually highly recommend this book I would say this is a must read for for kids I would absolutely say Make this one part of your history studies, a biography when you're doing modern history in World War II. Like, I wouldn't miss this one at all. Mm-hmm. I love the idea that Kathleen was sharing to share opposite stories of where you see regular people mm-hmm. rising up and doing great things. And I have two suggestions. One, I read The Faithful Spy, a true story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the plot to kill Hitler mm-hmm. by John Hendricks. It is a very accessible, incredibly written graphic novel type book that is so fascinating. And you have people also completely standing in integrity at all costs to fight back. And it just shows that, that push back. Mm -hmm. And I just think it would be so complimentary to this story. The other thing that I think would be incredible to do, my husband and I started reading the last lion series by William Manchester. So those are for adults. I remember feeling this sense that and then this is my personal feelings about Winston Churchill. But I remember feeling as I was reading it that Winston and Adolf were two sides of the same coin. 
And yet one chose one path and one chose another path. I don't believe that there was anyone quite built to stand up to Hitler like Churchill. Right. And I would love to, no, I haven't read the Winston Churchill landmark by Quentin Reynolds. Mm. He was a journalist, right? I think that would be so fascinating to see. There were, of course, many, many people. But as far as like leadership goes, Winston came in and was like, no more. Mm -hmm. We will stand. We will stand to the death. Mm-hmm. And I think Hitler wasn't prepared for Britain to not roll over. Mm-hmm. Winston, he had a really strong personality yes. too. He said and did things that people didn't like either. Yes. But he, he was I don't very know who polarizing. Else could have stood. Yes. He was, yes, there's the word. I'm like, what's the worst? He was so polarizing, <laughs> yes. right? And I often think, what would it have been like if there had been Twitter back then? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help but think that. Just so crazy. At least Winston would have been very eloquent, I think. But he might have also been like a little snarky and snappy and because he was my brain is, would say that he would my say brain things. is melting <laughs> contemplating a Twitter a Twitter storm with Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Winston Churchill, and Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Right? <laughs> oh, I don't know. My mind does weird things like that where I think, what if? <laughs> Maybe somebody could write a funny book that would inter- you know, integrate something like that. But I just think, there you go. There's some great options to, to kind of do that interplay together with your teenagers. That'd be a, such fun reading with your teenagers. I think you're right that Adolf Hitler did not expect Britain to stand up because they hadn't been. Mm-hmm. It's very significant that Chamberlain had been peace at any price. Yeah. And yes. he and he mm-hmm. thought he had it. And so that's also kind of a picture of the difference between a dictatorship and a country that's got some freedom to vote their leaders in and out. Once yes. Hitler was in, they couldn't get rid of him. But Britain mm-hmm. did. And mm-hmm. Churchill was for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. And afterward, he didn't fare as well when there was no war to fight, but he was definitely the guy for the hour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 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 Chamberlain was just whatever. I'm sure it's not as bad as everyone's saying. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of felt sad that there wasn't really anything about Churchill in this book, which is why I think it would be great to read the Churchill landmark. I wonder if it's just that they were two stars that would collide and best to sort of... yeah. Yeah, and maybe just not showing it up. Yeah. And I I could also understand Chamberlain. I can understand Europe at large saying we we just did this 20 minutes right. ago. Yeah. This we, we just we just did done. the war to end all wars. No, we're not doing war again. Yeah. We have no appetite for war. And we yeah. and we lost so many of our young We lost men. our men, right? We mm-hmm. it was devastating. Mm-hmm. And so just trying to think is there any possible way not recognizing that the person you're dealing with, and I think this is a big problem we have here in the United States, is that we think that other countries in the world and those dictators think the way we I, think. Yes. So we think if we make an agreement with China, that China is going to honor it in the way we would honor mm-hmm. it, the way we would expect integrity right. to be, the way we as a free people would think. They don't think that way. <laughs> and it, you you can just see that in Europe in World War II because Hitler was like, yeah, 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 sure. I'll, I'll just, I won't do any more. It's fine. I, didn't I mention I'll do this other country though? Oh, but there will be no more after that. Oh, but I'm just going to take. The, I'm <laughs> right? going to take this one. I, I always wanted this one. You'll be fine with it, right? It's a little one. Nobody cares. Well, and, and this one was really meant to be right. mine. So, like that was that really was part always of the deal, German. Right? It, just... it was always part of the Reich. <laughs> yeah, historically, I deserve this. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, and I just had. I think it was shocking. Shower even says in the book. I, I marked this quote that he admits that 
a lot of times he tells his opinions about things, but he admits too when he doesn't really understand how how this came about. He says, the attitude of the Germans puzzled me when I came to live and work in Berlin soon after Hitler came to power. I had thought that all men and women of the Western world valued personal freedom above all else in mm-hmm. life. To my surprise, I found that few Germans seemed to mind that their individual liberties had been taken away. They seemed strangely unaware how Hitler was tricking them. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you're right. We can't assume that everybody thinks the way I think, even everybody in our right. country, but certainly in other places. Yeah. Hey, did he also say in there something about that they valued safety over freedom yeah. or safety and security? Comfort, I thought. Maybe not the same page, but somewhere mm. in the book, yeah. Yeah, so after the devastation that was World War One and the devastation that was happening to their country, that they were willing to maybe trade some freedoms for stabilization, safety, mm-hmm. security, maybe some strength coming back. And, and we really are not in a position to judge them for that either. I, I mean, I think we have to make judgments about it, right? We have to critically review what has happened, learn from what has happened. But if we look at our own, our, our macro lives, like our lives as, as members of a large nation and a large world, and we even look at our own personal lives, how often do we always make those same decisions? Like, this is what's in the best interest of my family, even if it means sacrificing fill in the blank. It's not, I mean, he didn't do it in one sweeping thing that was shocking, He infiltrated with the young, indoctrinating at various levels and making certain things be more appealing than freedom and the responsibilities of freedom. It happened by a whittling away. We look back on it now and think, how can you not, how could you have not known this? Like, I know somebody who fundamentally believes that the people were totally aware and completely complicit with the um, concentration camps. I said, I, I, can't be convinced of that. I don't believe that they understood. And this person keeps saying, how could they not smell it? And I said, I I think you will believe a lot of things when you're told them and you don't have other information to go off of. Especially when it's horrific. Beyond comprehension. Yeah. By the time they got to where bodies were burning in their own cities, mm-hmm. a lot had happened by then to make them more compliant than they might have been if Hitler had just started there. Right, right. But I think that we sometimes, because we know the story, we fail to see that a lot of what was happening was that people just couldn't believe that the stories they were hearing were true. It They sounded and, like ravings of a madman. Yeah, and I've read a couple books in the last couple of years that brought that home, and one of them's been quite a while back, but um, called In the Garden of Beasts. And it's by Eric Larson, I think his name is. And it was about the um, ambassador to Nazi Germany hmm. before all, before war broke out. And he was telling um, Roosevelt what was going on and what he could see. And everybody's going, no, that can't be right. Right. And the other one is Ellie Wiesel's Night. Yes. Where mm-hmm. I just, I finished that all in one evening and I was just sitting there going, Oh my gosh, at every step of the way, they were warned how bad it was going to be. And at every step of the way, they said, that can't be possible. They were right in it. And they couldn't believe it was possible that someone would do what they were hearing. Right. 
And I I think that's a a significant factor is that people, not in living memory or historical memory, had people ever conceived of something that horrible and their minds just couldn't be wrapped around it. It seems inconceivable that that kind of barbarism is possible in the clean, civilized society in which we live. Mm -hmm. Well, in bringing up like night and the Holocaust, the thing I do appreciate about this book is that if you don't want to take a deep dive into the Holocaust, that is not discussed really in this book. Really, I can't really think like the word concentration camp is mentioned maybe like once or twice. And it's like he sent some, you know, person in to his a concentration that camp. he didn't yeah. agree with to the concentration camp. So right. if you don't want your kids to have to look at that horror up close yet, you can read this book without yes. being confronted with that. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent point, Kathleen. I agree. Until the end where he decimates an entire village. Yeah. Now it's not graphic, but you, there does come a point where you have to deal with the total depravity toward the end of his life, where if I'm going to lose, no one else is going to win. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Well, there's lots of killing all through the book. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. War, but not specifically concentration camps or right, right. Jewish yeah. people specifically yeah. so much. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, it's almost like a sort of preparation for, for going into the, you know, because he does talk about how Hitler at, at the very beginning of his political career was willing to murder his opponents, uh, mm-hmm. beat them up, um, mm-hmm. other things. And, and, and it goes on through the, through the story. There's a threat of, of violence and, and just the violence of war too. But some people from my area were organizing a field trip to the Holocaust museum, which is, we have, one in Houston. And I thought, you know, this would be a good book to read before or after Mm. a visit, just because it prepares a person who, a child who's not, doesn't know about all this stuff for that. And, And for what the consequences of Hitler's rise and fall really were. Yeah. That's a great recommendation, Sherry. So friends, one of the reasons why we chose this book today, aside from the fact that we think it's one that you might need an invitation to pull off your shelf, and we think it's one that will repay you well for your investment, and we we really believe this one's a foundational book. It could be the sort of the backbone of your World War II section on your shelves. So we chose this book because of its incredible value. But we also chose this book because this one is more readily available than maybe some other landmark books. So, Tanya, tell us, what are the different ways in which people can find this book? Yeah, so I'm really excited today because I did some further research on this one since we're reading it. So it's available to read or borrow for free on Internet Archive. Great. So if you're wanting to do something for free that's on a device, Internet Archive is a wonderful resource to do that. It was made available on Kindle in 2013. Mm -hmm. And then in 2020, it was made available on Audible. So that's awesome because you could either listen to it or still read it on a device. Mm -hmm. But this is exciting, you guys. In October of 2022, it was released in paperback. 
So it is currently in print and available. I know. (laughs) That's so exciting. I I thought we were only going to be able to share the Audible and the Kindle and the Internet Archive link. (laughs) But to have it actually a a nice – it looks like it's a well-done paperback Mm. that you could add to your home library. So. Yay, that's just brand new. So friends, in case you don't know, and this will be in the show notes, but BiblioGuides has put together a free resource with all of the landmark books that are that were ever made. So they have the name and the author and all the ways in which you can acquire the book. So that is out there for you. Anytime you're curious about a landmark book, how to find it. And that is linked in the show notes. But I, I kind of want to make a little joke now and say, Tanya, I feel like BiblioGuides needs a countdown clock for all of the landmark books that are as they're coming back into print. <laughs> <laughs> right? And it's exciting to find these ones like this. I don't even know who this publisher is. I've not come across them, Rosetta Books, Mm -hmm. but they looked like they're doing some good work. Marvelous. So it's exciting (laughs) to be able to continue to update our PDF so that people can see exactly how they can access the books. That's wonderful. So we have a little party every time a landmark book is born again (laughs) with a new publisher because these books are so worthy. To see them living on in, in new families' lives is really a special thing. I will let our listeners know that I chose to use both the printed book and the audiobook from Audible. And the narrator from Audible is really fantastic. So it was a very enjoyable listen as far as this content can be considered enjoyable. Um, but I think it would be a wonderful thing to listen to at lunch. So if you're trying to figure out how to get this book in and it doesn't fit inside of your school schedule, you might just want to sneak it in at lunchtime every day uh, or dinner time as fa- for family dinner. Car schooling. Car schooling. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> please do have a look at our show notes. And in our show notes, you will see links to the different books we've talked about today in addition to this one. And you'll see a link to the BiblioGuide's landmark list. Friends, just print that list. Just get it and print it. Even if you aren't necessarily looking for landmark books, just have that in a, in a in your purse or in a binder somewhere so that as you come across different books, you can see if they're a landmark book and, and decide whether or not to add those to your library. Also, I want to make a recommendation, and this is a little out of character. This is not a recommendation for a book. Well, it kind of is. This is one of those times where the movie is so much better than the book, and I'm sorry to admit that, Um, but I wanted to just say that if you're going to do a deep dive on Hitler, you may want to consider watching the classic Gregory Peck film with Christopher Plummer, The Scarlet and the Black. It's a fantastic story. Oh, me too. (laughs) It's a fantastic true story. Now, there are two books, The Scarlet Pimpernel of the Vatican and a book called The Scarlet and the Black. Both of those are about Monsignor Hugh O'Flaherty, who is a real uh, Roman Catholic priest who really did wear all the Scarlet Pimpernel type disguises in order to hide and save the lives of Allied soldiers during World War II. It's a phenomenal movie. The books are okay. They give you more information, so that's not so bad. And it has a beautiful story about the inner workings of the mind of a German general. And I think that that might support your reading of this book in a nice way. Ladies, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Tanya Arnold from BiblioGuides, Kathleen Seeger, and Sherry Early, two of our library ladies. Really appreciate you spending your time with us. 
Ladies, I want to thank you as well for being here and continuing to support this series that we're doing of forgotten books and landmark books. It is a wonderful way to be able to cover some of these books that have been gaps in my reading diet and uh, bring some of these stories back to life for other families. So thank you for joining us and supporting us in that way. 